Welcome to the Kyperian Commentary Podcast. This is episode 120, and I'm talking to Pastor uh, Nathan Zeckveld about an article he wrote recently for Kyperian.com called The Church is Our Mother, Why Our Doctrine of the Church is Limping Along. Uh, So Nathan, welcome. Glad to have you here on the Kyperian Commentary Podcast. Thank you for having me on. So uh, I just wanted to talk about this article. I think it's a, a big issue we really uh, try to address, I think, in the CREC. I think we do well, but broadly in the evangelical world, uh, the idea that church is optional, um, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in your garage makes you a car, you know, is the sort of thing you hear often, or or I can be just as close to God out in the woods with my Bible than, than I can, as I can in the church. Uh, but you start your article by quoting uh, St. Cyprian, the church father from the third century, saying, you cannot have God as your father unless you have the church for your mother. So that sounds really Catholic and scary. Why don't you yeah. tell me about that a little bit? Okay, so um, it's something I've thought about a bit, especially uh, given my studies of Reformed theology, given my studies of the church fathers. Um I quote both Cyprian and John Calvin in this article. Um, It's something that I've, I've seen in other writings of, of older pastors and ministers. I wouldn't necessarily be able to point where in every situation, but um, basically, so, so you quoted um, what I wrote from Cyprian. I also quoted from John Calvin in that article where he basically is, is repeating what Cyprian said. Now, of course, John Calvin obviously believed that salvation could be found outside of the Roman Catholic Church, but he still held a very idea, a similar idea to Cyprian that um, uh, salvation cannot be found outside of the small C Catholic Church. So I'll just, I'll just read a quick uh, quote here from his Institutes 4.1.4. Uh, but as it is now our purpose to discourse of the visible church, let us learn from her single title of mother how useful, no, how necessary the knowledge of her is, since there is no other means of entering into life unless she conceive us in the womb and give us birth, unless she nourish us at her breasts, and in short, keep us under her charge and government until divested of mortal flesh, we become like the angels. Moreover, beyond the pale of the church, no forgiveness of sins, no salvation can be hoped for, as Isaiah and Joel testify. Um, so that's a very strong statement from John Calvin, and I think it shows how how strong the ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, was among the reformers, and in some ways how far we've drifted from that, even in the uh, the reformed and Presbyterian world in North America. Right, and even if you're if you're confessing the Westminster Confession of Faith, on the chapter on the church, when speaking of the visible church, the Westminster Confession. You know, the Presbyterian document says that outside the visible church, there's no ordinary possibility of salvation, which makes a lot of people nervous uh, today. So, yeah, I'm glad to see an article addressing that and, and talking about you know the fact that this is a, a Reformation doctrine. Uh, and even with Cyprian, you know, uh, you pointed out that John Calvin would say it's not the Reformed or not the uh, Roman Catholic Church; it's the the Little C Catholic Church. I think Cyprian is on that page too. <laughs> I, 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 I think so. There was yeah. no Roman Catholic Church in Cyprian's day, but uh, 
you know, some, some of our Baptist friends may disagree with that, but I think uh, it's the case that, you know, there was a, a much more, I think the Protestants recovered an understanding of the church that had been lost. The more the, the Catholic church focused on the Pope as the head and the Pope as the thing that held it together. Uh, but yeah, so um, yeah. talk about a little bit about what prompted you to write this article, and then maybe we can get into some of the specifics about what exactly it means to say uh, there is no churchless Christianity, or you you can't uh, have God as your father without the church as your mother. Yeah, so the background to this article is um, I grew up in a, in a Reformed family. My dad is a Reformed church planter in the city of Toronto. Um, and so I grew up with the reformed doctrine of the church. I grew up hearing this quote, you cannot have God as your father without the church as your mother. Uh, so it's something I've reflected on a lot over the years, something I've reflected on over the years, hearing comments like where two or three are gathered in my name, we don't necessarily need the church just as long as you have a couple Christians getting together. Um, I, which I think is a, uh, a, a misunderstanding of the intent of Jesus in that passage. So I've heard a lot of um, a lot of things like that over the years, and then all of a sudden COVID hit in 2020, and then all of a sudden I started hearing more and more. Well, it's not like we need to gather together with God's people. Um, is that actually a biblical command? And so people started uh, whatever people were already questioning prior to the COVID years. All of a sudden, it just reached a crescendo, and everybody was questioning so many different things that. I've always understood to be basic to the reform perspective, the reform, the worldview, and uh, it kind of shocked me. Um, so I've I've done a lot of reflection on the church in the context of the Toronto mission field in Toronto, Canada, and uh, then especially again during the COVID years, I I just started doing some really intense reflection on the church, saying what can I authoritatively say that God commands for the church can you be uh separated from the church for a year or two years um can you be a christian without being a member of the church um all of these i think are questions that um are, are becoming more and more poignant in uh in north american christianity especially with how covid just kind of blew things up in the church in the last couple of years so where do you think the the misunderstanding primarily occurs, you know, with a, a large number of otherwise, you know, they're evangelical Christians. They want to believe the Bible. They want to be good Christians and yet don't see the need for the church in their life. Yeah. So I think, I think what people saw is um, over the course of the last 500 years, we've seen societies that are largely Christian and what happens in societies that are largely Christian is that going to church, church attendance becomes more of a tradition than a, um, a, a living practice, if, if you kind of understand what I'm, what I'm going for there. Um, and so I think among evangelicals, they've really wanted to say, no, what we need is we need the heart of things, which I, I think is definitely a good emphasis because you want people to be going to church and not just going there, but going there with their hearts and uh, and being involved in the worship of the church. So I think what you've seen is is almost a privatizing of religion and 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 seeing uh, church attendance and consistent church attendance almost as as legalism. I think that would be one of the catchphrases in evangelicalism. Um, when I simply see 
being part of the church, being a member of the church, consistent church attendance, simply as uh, obedience to Jesus Christ and, a, and, a, and as an expression of my living faith in Jesus Christ. If Jesus loves his church so much, why would I go and say that the church is not necessary for, um, for, my, for my faith in life? Right. I've, I've heard it uh, put this way before, too. I wish I could remember where, but I'm not taking credit for it. Whoever wrote it, they get credit. Um, but it was yeah. a, it was a, a statement that, you know, the, the one of the main images in the New Testament is that the church is the bride of Christ. So if you yeah. say to your friend, man, I like you, you're my best buddy. I want to hang out with you all the time. I really hate your wife and I don't want to ever be around her. <laughs> yeah. That relationship isn't going to go very far, right? If you say, Jesus, I love you. I hate your bride. I hate the church. I don't want to be near the church, but you, I want to be friends with you. It doesn't go very well. Yeah. Well, and, and you look at Jesus' intents and purposes for the world in the New Testament, and definitely he wants to save evangelicals, uh, sorry, save evangelicals as well and reform people. Um, he wants to save individuals. Uh, I, I think that that's uh, definitely central to Jesus' mission is saving individuals. But um, look at how often the New Testament talks about Jesus calling out a church for himself. You see that in the Gospels. You see that in Matthew 16, on this rock, I'll build my church. You see that in Ephesians 1. You see that in Colossians 1. It's the church, and he saves the individual in the context of the church. Um, I, I don't think you can separate the two in the same way that so many modern evangelicals have separated the two. Right. And it, it seems it seems like a major oversight because Jesus, you know, he does say on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, not individual believers, uh, but yeah. the church the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Um, you talked about church attendance becoming tradition. And so people say, you know, it's just rote tradition. People don't really mean it. So let's just not do it. Um, why is that a bad argument? Well, I would say that's a bad argument because any good thing can simply become rote tradition and you don't get rid of the good thing just because somebody does it wrongly. Um, if Jesus has commanded it, then you should go and do it and you should do it with a, uh, a joyful and a ready heart. Sometimes your heart might, uh, might not always be following your mind, but if in your mind you're saying that this is my obedience to Jesus then uh, then you should expect your heart to follow along with it. I think that's a, a really good point, too, that obedience isn't always a matter of what you feel like, right? If, you're, yeah. if your mind tells you, I have to obey Jesus, he told me not to forsake the assembly, right? Go, go to church, be part of the church. Uh, you might not feel that every week, but but your heart better come along eventually, right? You do what you're supposed to do. Yeah, well, and you look at good principles of raising children. So like when I was a kid, I didn't always feel like obeying my mom. And if right. my mom said, well, you should only obey me when when you feel like obeying me, then that's uh, then that's bad parenting. <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, I think that uh, points to something else, too. I hadn't really thought of this ahead of time, but God commands our feelings. You know, yes. we tend to think he just commands our actions. No, you may not feel like it, but you're commanded to want to do this. So um, you'd better pray that God would help you want to do it. And in the meantime, 
do it. Because <laughs> yeah, well, you our kids, we want you yeah. to obey cheerfully, right? You may not feel cheerful, so you'd better start feeling cheerful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's that's a good. Uh, I think that's a good parenting, <laughs> uh, good good way to shepherd children. Um, I also think of Romans twelve verse one, where it talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so once you start training your mind to think in terms of obedience to Jesus, love for Jesus, then eventually all your emotions get transformed according to the renewing of your mind. Right. Uh, and in our culture, you know, I I would say most people I knew growing up went to church. It wasn't, uh, it may be where you're from. It's different. I grew up sort of right near the Bible, in the Bible Belt, Appalachian Mountain area, Virginia. So just sort of that upper end of the Bible Belt. So most people felt like they should go to church. You know, maybe it was even a little more on that spectrum of uh, even people who didn't really believe in Jesus felt like culturally they should be in church and it's bad that mm. they weren't. Um, so um, so it, it is kind of interesting to see in the broader world, even when I went to Liberty University and one of the first things I did was, okay, where am I going to go to church now that I'm at college? And so many folks I knew said, well, I went to chapel this week, so I don't need church. You know, I'm going to sleep in on Sunday morning. It was really kind of surprising to me how many kids at a Christian university didn't go to church. So it's wow, it's a, yeah. yeah, kind of a big thing. Um, so you people use the the idea that it's legalism to say that's legalism if you say I have to go to church. Um, why is it not? Well, legalism is. Uh... I would say legalism is going above and beyond mm. the law of God. Legalism is adding uh, to the commandments of God, the traditions of men, like uh, Jesus talks about in Matthew 15. So legalism is firstly that. Um, and then I also, I think people transfer an idea of uh, being saved by our works into legalism. Um, so I would simply say Jesus has commanded us to, um, to not forsake the the assembly of the saints, Hebrews 10, verse 24 to 25, do not forsake coming together as is the habit of some, uh, but rather holding fast to your confession. Um, so it's in the context of holding fast to your confession. Uh, so I would, I would simply encourage Christians to think of it this way. Um, Jesus has saved you from your sins. He's forgiven you of your sins. And it would make no sense once he has forgiven you to um, reject his commands. Uh, right. Following his commands is simply an expression of your overflowing gratitude for what he's done, and also simply trying to please him. Right. So, what the motivation then isn't so that I get saved. Yes. The motivation is because I love Jesus. Yeah. And and by extension, I love his people. Right. If we're if we're in Christ then we're in Christ together. It's not just me and Jesus. We're all united to Christ. So we love each other in, in him. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I would say, if you don't love his people, then you should be thinking a little bit and be like, okay, well, the fruit of my salvation is supposed mm-hmm. to be a deep love for his people. So, so why is that not in me? Uh, right. I, I do think there is a place for self-reflection there. That would be, uh, yeah, a good thing to point people to. Um, mm-hmm. 
even thinking about the New Testament, I mean, you go through, you know, Paul's letters, the pastoral epistles, they're really all about the church, his letters to the churches. Um, you know, a lot of the New Testament are just letters to churches. Um, if we decided the church wasn't really important and all that was important was my individual salvation, how much in the New Testament would we even need uh, to do that? It's a good yeah. question. <laughs> Seems like God wasted a lot of time on on something that wasn't really important after all, if the church <laughs> is important. Um, so talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the, this idea that, you know, the Westminster Confession says outside the church, there's no ordinary possibility of salvation. Um, Cyprian says you can't have God as your father without the church as your mother. Uh, those are pretty strong, stark statements. Uh, so on one hand, we have salvation through faith in Christ, so we love Jesus, want to obey him. Those seem like almost stronger, though. I mean, stronger statements that you you can't find ordinary salvation outside the church. How would you explain that to someone who says, well, that's works salvation? Uh, we're saved by faith alone. Saying that the church is necessary in some way for that is uh, just adding works or adding you know, human deeds to our salvation. What would you say to someone who has that objection? Well, I would point them to all the passages in the New Testament where um, it makes very clear that, uh, so for example, Ephesians 2, it says we're, we who are dead in our trespasses and sins were saved by grace so that we might be uh, God's workmanship in Christ. Um, so there's always a purpose um, Matthew five, the, um, the, the purpose of salvation is to be that light on the hill, to be the salt of the earth. Um, God never saves people in the new Testament in a vacuum where, um, you don't have the, the fruit or the result that follows the salvation. Um, I think it's pretty clear in reformed theology and reformed doctrine that there's a separation between justification and sanctification, yet Louis Burkhoff in his uh, systematic theology says, yet um, justification is always followed by sanctification. There's always a growth in holiness that, that follows justification. Um, so I, I would just simply point to the clear command and call for good works throughout the scriptures. Yeah, and yeah, bringing out the big guns there with Burkhoff, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Aren't you reformed? Aren't you reformed? Well, we've got Louis Burkow saying this, so we must be reformed. Uh, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I, I think that's. I think people often forget that sanctification is part of salvation. Yeah, I think when you hear people say salvation, they mean very narrowly justification, and that's yeah. what they mean, right? They say I was, I got saved. But what you mean is you got justified, but your salvation is still going on. You've still you're still being sanctified into the image of Christ. You're going to be glorified one day, and that's part of your salvation also. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's a, a reminder that I think is oftentimes in our evangelical world downplayed because it's about get saved. You get saved, and by that we mean you get justified. Um, yeah. So so the, the, the telos, the goal, the purpose then um, isn't just to go to heaven someday when I die. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So the goal is not just to go to heaven when I die, but the goal is to um, 
so so once Jesus saves a man, he makes a man part of his mission. And the church plays a very crucial role in his mission to the world. The the church is at the I would say at the center of that mission to the world. It's not primarily the individual at the center of that mission, but the church. So that um, there's a group of people that he's gathering into the church from all nations and tongues of the earth, and they're being drawn into the church, and uh, and and that's God's plan for the world to grow the church, and then through the church. Um, I think Colossians 1 talks about Christ being head, first of all, over the church so that in all things he might be preeminent. Christ is going to be preeminent. He's going to become Lord over everything. His rule will be established as he is head first and foremost in the church. Um, so I, I would I would say it's not just heaven we're aiming at, but we're aiming at um building institutions we're aiming at uh, the conversion of of souls and hearts which also necessitates the uh the transformation of institutions and and governments and institute uh, uh schooling education everything so you the know Hyperion I, I think it's really important to say that too that the church is at the heart of all those things um you know i've heard people um or seen people, especially online, who who see, you know, our culture needs to be Christian. We need to, um, <clears throat> we need to Christianize America. We need a Christian America. But the church seems almost like a tangent to that. You know, the church uh, orders man's affections toward heaven and toward God, but the real work happens in the political realm. The real work happens out here, um, elsewhere, as we transform culture without the church. I think it's really important to show that the church is at the heart of that, like you're talking about. Yeah. So you're not going to have cultural <laughs> transformation without the reformation of the church. If the church is not, not being obedient to Christ and is not placing Christ as the sole head of the church, then you're, you're simply not going to have cultural transformation. It will never happen. So what would you say to someone who sees problems in our culture, sees problems in our church? They know there has to be change. There has to be something fixing all of this mess. But they say there's there's just no good church around me. Um, you know, the, the there's a church here. Well, they're Baptist, but I believe in pedo baptism. There's a church over here, and you know, they're a little bit squishy on you know this social issue or that social issue. I just can't find the right church. There's just no church around me that's worth going to. So I just don't go to church. What would you say to to someone in that situation? So I would encourage somebody to be uh, biblically principled, to be convinced of, of what the <laughs> truth is, but also to be gracious towards other churches that are in their region. Uh, so if you if you struggle finding a church that has the same convictions as you, you don't need to be in a church that has exactly the same convictions as you have. So it's possible to be in a in a church that is a little bit squishier. And uh, to be gracious and charitable towards your Christian brothers, to uh, submit as much as possible to elders, but also to be uh, principled in your convictions. Uh, if that's not possible, I've, it's also possible to band together with a group of Christians and to work with a denomination like the uh, Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches or another Reformed denomination to build up a, um, a church plant. So church plant in your region. Um, 
and uh, and build a church there for the glory of God. Strive to be as biblical as possible, as well as as gracious as possible towards other Christians in your region. Um, and then the third option is to move out of your region and to find a uh, a sound and stable church in another part of the country. Um, yeah, and and there could be a number of parts of the country where where you find interest in. But uh, it, it would, if that is the best thing for your family and if it would be good for your soul, then uh, I would definitely encourage that as well. Do you realize how radical that sounds in our culture, though? The idea that you would move for a church? <laughs> church um, is so important, especially for, for, the next, for the next generation. Being in a good church is so important for children. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, for, for a lot of people, I think the first option you know, maybe you should lower your standards a little bit is, is maybe the best I found, you know, oftentimes the laundry list someone has for a church, man, if you can find a great church, if you have a CREC church, for example, in your area, then good for you. Right. Yeah. But if you can't, you can compromise on a few things. Well, and something I like to say, something I like to say is the minute that you find the perfect church and you become a member there, then you're going to destroy the perfect church because sin is in in your own heart right um so. <laughs> and, and i i've known families over the years who have been through every church in an area you know though this church and then this church and then this church and it's always the best church ever until it's not and then they've got to find a new church um and and you know i think sometimes the problem there is well you're you're the common denominator in all of these churches you're going to all the people yeah. are different. The denomination's different, but one thing is the same everywhere you go, and it's you. You're the one who's the same. Uh, so, and, yeah, and it's it's okay to be in a church where you disagree with some things, and you still experience that Christian love and fellowship with one another. Right. It's possible. <laughs> yeah. So, what would you say, thinking about the church in the Christian life? We want to be in the church because that equips us to. Uh, be part of Jesus's mission. Um, what's the priority? I mean, obviously we want doctrinally sound churches. If a church is teaching outright heresy or or promoting sin, you don't want to be there. But aside from that, what sorts of priorities should you look for as far as, okay, this is the most important thing here, even if I disagree on other things? Yeah, so I, I would definitely say that um, in looking for a good church, you, you want to find a church that values good doctrine. Good doctrine is very important to godly living. <clears throat> um, you also want to find a church that values um, orderly church government. Um, so do they strive to reform their church government according to the principles of Scripture? Um, if you're in a church with with elders and deacons, um, that's at least the basic command that you have in scripture, but you also want those elders and deacons to be, um, submitting their, their understanding of what their task is to scripture. Um, another thing that you want to see in a church is, do they have a good ministry of reconciliation? Um, do they have biblical categories for repentance, confession of sin, forgiveness, grace, reconciliation, restoration? Um, Every church is going to struggle with that at times because of the the sinful human heart. But you do want to see a church constantly going back to scripture and saying, okay, how can we do better in this area? How can we be a church community that is 
confessing our sins and reforming ourselves according to God's word. Uh, so I would say doctrine, ministry of reconciliation, um, church government. And then I think there's other considerations, um, but maybe they're lesser considerations. There's a lot of different types of music styles and, and stuff like that. But the way music is done is important in, mm -hmm. in the context of the church. Does the congregation love to sing or do they rely on uh, people up front to sing for them? Do, do they make it a, a show? So order of worship, the way worship is done, is it more showy? Is it flashy? Or is it something that the whole congregation uh, participates in together? Is it orderly? Um, I think all of these are questions that people should be thinking about. Great stuff. Well, we've got uh, less than 10 minutes left here, but uh, if if you wanted to, to give kind of a, a final summary or a final exhortation in regard to churchless Christianity, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here. Um, what's the one thing you would want someone, we're going to link your article, by the way, so that people who watch this can, can go and read your article, but what's the, the one big thing you would like people to, to take away? Yeah. So I, I could say a number of things here, but I'll, I'll focus especially on, um, the way God views this church. Uh, you talked a little bit about the church being the bride of Christ in the, in the scriptures, but there's so many ways in which God speaks about and delights in his church. Um, there's the imagery of the church being the city of Jerusalem in, uh, in the New Testament times. So the church is that glorious city that we walk around and we show its ramparts and bulwarks to our children, uh, like in the Psalms. Um, you have it described as the body of Christ. The church is Christ's representative here on earth. Um, we are the body of Christ. We're united together. Uh, the church is the temple, First uh, Corinthians. Uh, so it's this this massive and beautiful structure as in Ephesians 2 that's being built up on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. So just think about all those vibrant images of the church in the New Testament. Think about how God delights in and loves his church and how Jesus is uh, laid down his life for her and is purifying her um, uh, like in Ephesians 5. Um, once you think about all those things and all of a sudden you're a little less focused on what's bad about the church, but uh, you, you begin to think, okay, well, what can I do to serve the church and to delight in the church? Um, so I would, really, uh, I would really focus on that for Christians to think about, um, especially in light of, of all those uh, images in the word of God. Great. Well, Nathan, thanks for coming on here uh, and talking about the church with me. And um, I hope your ministry goes well. Uh, for, for those who don't know, I interviewed Jamie Souls uh, a few weeks ago, and Nathan is actually his pastor. So they're both in it together up there in Canada. And, and uh, Jamie is my elder. He's your elder. There you go. And I yeah. understand you've got some uh, church plants in the works too, right? Or uh, something along those lines? Yeah, so no particular church plants uh, that we're particularly doing, but there are some church plants happening in Canada at large. So Great stuff. Yeah, especially after all the COVID stuff and the way it was received up there. It's yeah. really good to, to see people interested in those kind of churches being planted. Well, thanks again for coming on, Nathan, and uh, hope you have, have a great week. Yeah, thank you.